tonight's episode of Midnight Tea is brought to you in part by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. fellow goths, horror enthusiasts, and children of the sun and moon. I am your humble Los Angeles witch, Moonchild Nil, and welcome to the last episode of Midnight Tea for the year 2021. Just wow. It's insane to think that we're done with 2021 already. Whereas 2020 felt like it dragged on forever. And now we got to 2021, and I feel like 2021 rushed right by us. This year, honestly, speeded right past us, especially these last three months. I don't know about you guys out there, but me personally, I feel like we got we hit October, November, December, and it was over so incredibly fast. Um, as you might have seen from some of my Instagram stories, I actually haven't been home much the month of December. I was um, doing a bo- uh, job for my boss in which I had to go and live with the mountains, live <laughs> live in the mountains. And I was home maybe twice the entire month of December. But that job is now over and I am finally home. And I can't stress enough how good it feels to be sleeping back in my own bed. I missed home so, so much. I spent my Christmas up in the mountains and it was cool, don't get me wrong. Um, I did get a little sick while I was gone because of the altitude and the air was just so dry, even though now California just got into its rainy season. But it's, you know, it's still, it was still, it was cute, but, you know, nothing compares to being home. So with that in mind, guys, also, I I know everybody's definitely sick of hearing it. And we are now dealing with the Omicron variant of the COVID virus that's now running rampant, especially if you're like me, you live in California or more specifically Southern California, this is when you have to start taking this incredibly seriously. Um, I know many of you out there may have some New Year's Eve plans to go visit family and that's fine. Um, I'm not, and I'm definitely not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just highly encouraging for people to stay home this year for this New Year's Eve. I myself am not going out at all tonight. I'm going to be staying home. I personally, even though I am fully vaccinated plus a booster, I still would prefer to just be at home, you know, especially not just because of the virus, but also because if you're living here in Southern California, it may be raining later this evening. It might also, you know, and of course, sobriety checkpoints means you have to be very cautious about your drinking and Personally, I'd rather buy a bottle of wine and just enjoy my night at home because it's not worth the mess that's going on out there in the world right now. Um, even with the news that celebrities like Hugh Jackman have tested positive for COVID, it, um, I, the name escapes me, but another celebrity also just caught COVID. He's canceling a bunch of his tours, so he's not going anywhere. It's not worth all this right now. It's, it's chaos when it doesn't need to be. So with that in mind, guys, if you do decide to go out and you're not vaccinated, this is one of those, even if you are vaccinated, I highly encourage you, please wear your masks out there. It's not just for the protection of you, but it's for the protection of those around you, especially during the holiday seasons where no one should be alone. So you should have family or friends or loved ones with you, but at not at the risk of possibly giving them something that could potentially be life-threatening. You know, and, and I, I don't like usually starting off my episodes with this this kind of PSA, but I feel like you would be, you would be surprised how often I feel like it's necessary to mention these to, to people who don't like to practice common sense. Um, but that being said, guys, I hope you guys all had a wonderful Christmas. Mine was very small and intimate, but that's okay. That's all I wanted. I didn't need anything big and lavish. And, you know, it was the togetherness of my friends and loved ones and what little family I have. 
made the made the holiday really amazing. And of course, for me, I don't celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Yule as a Wiccan. And it was all the more of a beautiful, quiet, intimate, festive gathering. So that being said, guys, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. And as per the usual, tonight's episode may contain strong language, possible spoilers for books and media, and dark topics. So this is your viewer or listener discretion advised. So tonight, guys, we're going to start off this episode talking about a leak that had just happened on the internet about four days ago. And this happened on Instagram, as most of my leaks usually do start from there. And it's about my favorite doll franchise out there, Monster High. Now, as you all have heard definitely from my previous podcast, as I am one of the biggest Monster High fans out there, that Monster High is due to make a comeback in 2022. As of yet, there really hasn't been an official date of anything being released other than just the year 2022. We were in talks of getting a Monster High movie. There's going to be a new uh, TV series on Nickelodeon. There's going to be a reboot of the Doll franchise, but no solid date. And as of four days ago, we got a very interesting leak via Instagram through multiple Doll Watcher accounts. I can't pinpoint any one in particular, some of which have actually had to take the photos down of this leak. And that uh, is of the new look of the Draculaura doll. And all it took was one was, well, in this case, three or four photos and the Internet went wild. And of course, me especially knowing I'm going to continue to collect these dolls in 2022 was very eager to see what the new doll rebrand is going to look like. And these, and from what we see of, of the photos of Draculaura, and let me also keep in mind, it's not a full-bodied doll. What we see is Draculaura's head, what looks to be a skirt, uh, her shoes, and a, a coffin backpack. Um, she looks fantastic. Um, so I'm here to give you guys the good news that Yes, the new, as far as if these photos are true and it's the real leak that we're expecting it to be, this Draculaura head is the same as the original mold that we had. Um, this doll also looks like it has rooted eyelashes, though I cannot 100% confirm. The photo's a little grainy. The new boots look 100% Draculaura, pink, pink boots, black heels. She has a coffin backpack. It's pink with a spider web on it and a black dripping heart on it. It looks, it's very reminiscent of the poster art for Bella Lugosi's Dracula. And her, I said, I said it was a skirt, but it's actually a dress. It looks to have a spider web, a black spider web overlay. And of course, it's a bubblegum pink dress. And in only the best way Draculaura could be dressed. And the internet has created fan art of this outfit already in preparation of expecting what it's going to look like. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm also hoping that the dolls are still going to be articulated in the way that the original wave was with um, jointed elbows and knees because that's what made these dolls so highly collectible was because you could pose them in so many different ways. Now, as far as we know, that's the only leak that has happened thus far and it's just of Draculaura, but we also had a special fifth photo that has been leaked and only a few handful of people have gotten this photo of a pair of black monster high boots with a crescent moon on it now if any of you guys are avid fans of monster high like i am that can only mean that those boots have to belong to my girl claudine my absolute favorite monster so we got a kind of a sneak peek of what her attire might look like in just the shoes so as far as we know right now, we only get to see the shoes. There's no been, there haven't been any leaks of any other dolls or any other molds that we can see as of right now. It's still early days, so we don't know what the others might look like. There's no leaks of Frankie or Cleo or Abby or Gulia, any of them. And no leaks on the potential cartoon series with Nickelodeon, nor the movie that should be coming out some point in 2022. But it's still exciting, guys. Like, if you happen across it and you want to look up Monster High 2022 leaks, you might run across these photos of Draculaura. She looks adorable. And I'm proud to say that, thank God, they did away with the reboot and we're getting back to the Monster High that I started to love almost 11 years ago. 
So guys, this is going to be exciting. Avid old school collector fans such as myself are going to love this. Not only that, I've already started talking to my cosplay Draculaura. We're already starting to make plans for Comic-Con 2022, which I already have my tickets for. So I'm excited. And when hopefully um, the new Monster High reboot will be released before Comic-Con 2022, so I can start planning a cosplay of my favorite girl, Claudine. Get a chance to go and check out the leaked photos if you find them online. Alright guys, so the bulk of tonight's episode, we're going to be reviewing two movies that are not in the goth community, or horror for that matter, but they both fall under categories of two things that I absolutely love. One being I Love Lucy, which is arguably the best black and white sitcom of all time, and Disney. But we're going to go ahead and start this off with I Love Lucy, and more specifically we're going to review the Amazon Prime movie Being the Ricardos that released on theaters on December 10th of this month and then premiered on Amazon Prime, free on Prime, December 22nd. So let's get a, a quick rundown of what happens in the film. And this is also going to be the point where I put in a spoiler war alert because from here on out, I will be talking spoilers of the movie which honestly, if you're a big I Love Lucy fan like I was, because I grew up with I Love Lucy since long before I was born, um, then, you know, you might want to go read up on Lucy's on Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's life before you listen to this podcast or before you or before I give you spoilers, go and check out the movie on Prime. But without further ado, let's get into it. Basically, the movie takes place already after, around already around the time where Desi and Lucille Ball have already met and already started their whirlwind romance of eloping, and um, it kind of jumps back and forth through time where it talks about how they go from each day of the week, from the script read to the dress rehearsals etc etc to the actual filming of the show or the episode and it only highlights the lit like the later um seasons like we start off on season two and they're doing a script read and how lucille ball kind of fights with the director about a certain joke she doesn't like it but they like it and it's it's a, and it's all about this one episode is what I find very interesting and how much they target this one. It does have a little bit of the back and forth of how Vivian Vance and William Farley, who play at Fred and Ethel Mertz, don't really get along. It also delves into how Lucy is going to have an episode, wants to do episodes where she's pregnant on screen, but CBS at the time had issues with not only just saying the word pregnant, but not it, but having a couple be in a bed together whereas if you ever watch the show clearly you've seen Lucy and Ricky in separate beds so it's an argument with that and how Ricky handles it and how Ricky's more of the businessman and Lucy is is just trying to get her comedic prowess to be more exposed and shown and instead the writers are kind of just dodging her and cock blocking her at every which way um, there's even going on with the rumor that Vivian Vance was paid to or made to kit to be heavier than Lucille Ball because they wanted, I don't know, Ethel to, I guess, look like more of the every woman, whereas Lucy is just the star and how it caused a little bit of strife between Vivian and Lucille. And it ends with the big the big situation with Lucille Ball in which she was accused of being a communist and the real behind-the-scenes story of Lucille signing up to be a communist, though not knowing what it was at the time, and it came out, and just you know how celebrities will get knocked for anything, and Ricky trying to defend it and trying to protect his wife as you do, and it ends with Lucy finding out after they filmed the episode that the whole movie is based upon this one episode that Lucy finds out about Desi having an affair and from my understanding is this this biopic was released with the blessing of Lucille and Desi's actual children who are still alive today and 
my honest opinion is the movie's not that great. Because it only harbors on this one situation. It's so stuck and stagnant right there. It's also, like I said, it time jumps between them trying to get this one episode filmed. Then it jumps backwards to when Lucy met Desi. Jumps back to the present where the script read isn't going well and everybody's arguing. Then it jumps back into the past of how Lucy first slept with Desi. Then jumps, like it does this a lot. It doesn't make for a concise movie. It's kind of giving you whiplash. And even when the movie supposedly ends on a good note, it ends with uh, Desi about to start the show, kind of just talking to the live studio audience and saying this whole Lucy's a communist mishap is a misunderstanding. And President Eisenhower is on the phone and tells them, no, Lucy's not a communist. There's nothing to worry about. It ends on such a good note. And then it slaps you in the face by continuing the movie another five minutes to find out about Desi's affair. And I get it. We, like, if you're like me and you watched I Love Lucy almost your entire life, there was no real happy, there was a bittersweet ending, I dare say, in which Lucy and Desi were divorced before the show, the series, uh, the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour ever finished, but they still remained friends. But this ends with kind of just a slap in the face of they, Lucille calls him out on the affair and roll credits. Why? Why would you do that? And end right there. So casting. I personally think that the casting for this was pretty decent. I think um, Javier Barden, who plays Desi Arnaz in this, really did look the part. Um, Nicole Kidman being Lucille Ball was rough. Now, that's not to say she didn't act the part well. My thing was more or less, there's times I looked at her and I saw Lucille Ball. Then there was times I looked at her, I saw Nicole Kidman with red hair. And it, it didn't, you know, they, they had to light her a certain way. It's kind of one of those, if you squint, you see it. Um, Nina Arianda, who plays Vivian Vance, I think did a pretty good job. Um, even as I, as I look at her, her photos off of her IMDb, I do see Vivian Vance. If you style her hair a certain way, if you do her makeup a certain way. And J.K. Simmons playing William Frawley was actually really impressive. I think he was a little too skinny to play William Frawley because as you've seen in the, in the series, you know, William Frawley had a little bit of a belly, but I mean, as an older man, but J.K. Simmons nonetheless did a solid performance in capturing the person William Frawley was 100% off screen. And that's what they, that's what you wanted. But in terms of casting, the casting for the most part was beautiful. I'm just angered by, again, where they wanted to take the story. What parts of the story did they want to tell? And for me, it doesn't make a very cohesive biopic at all. And for such, for all the hype that this had, especially for people like me who grew up loving, truly loving I Love Lucy, this wasn't enough. Um, so in, to counteract this, I would also recommend, it's also on Amazon Prime, it's free with Prime. There is another biopic documentary movie. It was made very low budget by Sony, simply titled Lucy. Now this is the biopic I would actually prefer to being the Ricardos, in which it shows Lucy's life as a teenager, struggling to become a serious actress, realizing she was never going to be a serious actress because she was the queen of B, of B movies. Then she realized she had a shtick in comedy in which she learned from the comedic chops of actors like Red Skelton. From there, you see she's on set for a movie. She meets Desi. And the whirlwind romance starts. And this movie continues that trajectory of telling the story in one cohesive line. And this is what you wanted to see. Now, I'm also not going to sit here and say that the Lucy movie is perfect. I don't think a lot of the uh, actors that play Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, Vivian Vance, William Frawley, they don't look as close as the actors in Being the Ricardos. But nonetheless... They did put their heart and soul into portraying these characters as realistically as they could be. And I think they did a very fantastic job. 
because a lot of what's missing from being the Ricardos, honestly, with both of these movies, if you put them together, you actually kind of get the perfect story of everything that happened on and off the screen for I Love Lucy, in which Lucy was actually an advocator to have people of color, major- mostly just blacks, on on I Love Lucy. She fought very hard for this. Not only that, it was showed more that Lucy and Desi fought for her to have a pregnancy on on CB on CBS, which at a time where it was unheard of. There was also more about uh, Desi Arnaz's gambling problem that was never mentioned in being the Ricardos. I mean, even um, Lucille Ball being an advocate to end racism on CBS was never mentioned in being the Ricardos. Now, granted, some of this could have been dramatized for the sake of the story, but I feel like that's such a big topic that it couldn't be just for the sake of adding color to it. Um, There was also more about... Desi's philanthropy, Desi also being um, a skirt chaser, um, cheating on Lucille Ball whenever chance he got. Uh, There was also talks about Lucille having a miscarriage before she had her two children. More about the houses they owned, the properties they had. And granted, even too, in the biopic Lucy, they don't talk about Lucy's communism. They don't talk about... um, they don't talk too much about the the life after the divorce, after the Lucy Desi comedy hour ended, which neither of them really do. But I again, if you blend the two, you get a solid story. So if you're like me and you love I Love Lucy, you love Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's story, as bittersweet as it is, I think if you watch both, you're going to get the cohesive full story of what happened between them. Because without it, you're kind of just like, out of the two, I dare say, again, the Lucy biopic is by far better than being the Ricardos that only tells you maybe a quarter of the story. And then Lucy tells you the other three quarters. It's just, there. You, there's not enough of a proper balance. But... You know, it does talk about, again, how their life in L.A. became and, you know, how they made the Desilu production company, which is now the Marx Studios in Hollywood on Kohinga. Um, How they used to go drinking at Bordner's. And they mention it in both of the biopics. Actually, in Being the Ricardos, you actually see Bordner's, which is now where Bar Sinister is held every Saturday for the goth crowd. And it's absolutely fucking crazy to see what it looked like in the 1950s to know that it's still there today it, it's some it's something about old school hollywood like that that just it, it makes me like oh my god it's still there and it's 2021 it's it's great so like i said if you're interested i would recommend watching being the ricardos but i also recommend checking out the biopic lucy i almost dare say watch lucy first and then watch Being the Ricardos if you want the full cohesive story. Both of them are free with Prime. And yeah, just sit down. It's, I mean, you're going to need at least four hours to watch both. But if you ever were, like I said, a huge Lucille Ball fan like I am, it really does pay to sit down and watch both to get the real, as close as you can, true story of the life and times behind the cameras of I Love Lucy. And with that, guys, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll return with more of the episode right after a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, welcome back. So now I'm going to give the second review of the evening in which I'm going to be reviewing Disney's Encanto, which was just released on Disney Plus Christmas Day, um, December 25th. And I'm going to start off by saying if you haven't watched this movie, please skip this segment right now and go watch this movie like damn it don't do not skip this go watch the movie first then come back and watch my and (laughs) listen to my review because i'm gonna talk spoilers um that's your disclaimer right now there's gonna be full spoiler territory coming after this that being said 
Disney's Encanto was amazing. Absolutely amazing and charming and only the way Disney could. So let's give a quick breakdown of the premise. In this area of Colombia, um, there's this family who was enchanted with a very special candle that not only gave them a house that's alive, it breeds, it grows with the family, it helps uplift this family, but the candle also blesses each member of the family with a gift. The abuela, the grandmother of the family, was the one to get the candle, and in it, she with her three children, the candle helped give her a home, then gave the children gifts, then gave their children, when they got older, gifts. And each particular person in the family has a different gift. One of the three daughters that the abuela had um, gave her the gift of being able to heal any sickness somebody had with food. Um, another child was given the gift of being able to hear anything from miles and miles away. Anything at all. And the third child is Bruno. And we don't talk about Bruno. And if you watched the movie, you'd know what I was talking about there. But in any case, every child, even the grandchildren, were given gifts of their own in the family. And our story leads off with the grandchild, Maribel, who she does not have a gift. She was the only one in her family to not be given a gift. And nobody can understand 100% why. And so she goes on this kind of like a journey throughout the film to find out why she was the only one not gifted. And the beautiful thing about this story is Maribel is not villainous. She doesn't feel, you know, bitter necessarily about the the hand she's been dealt but she does she you know she does uplift there is a younger family member who is about to get his gift and she is nothing but humble and sweet and kind to this child and saying you know your gift's going to be magical he even wants her to hold his hand as he goes to his door to get his gift it's a beautiful moment but at some point yes Maribel does feel some type of way because she she kind of has a little bit of a, a feeling from her family where she she feels a little excluded because she doesn't have a gift. And part of it is due to the part of her sister, Isabella, who is engaged in this movie. And Isabella is a little bit of the perfect child. And so Isabella also can be kind of rude and looks down upon Maribel for not having a gift or just being in the way. So there's a minor strife between the siblings. And it leads Maribel to want to know why Bruno is not talked about. And the family all have their reasons, but it's almost fanatical in how they approach why Bruno is not talked about in the family. So I'm not going to go into crazy spoilers about this, but I mean, that's for the most part the gist without saying too, too, too much. Um, I personally, first of all, this mu- this movie is outrageously beautiful. Oh, the colors, the way the house moves, the candles, the doors that they approach so that they can get their gift. And every time they open their do- their own personal door, each one of their rooms is catered to whatever their gift is. Like, for example, Mari, um, I'm sorry about that. Isabella has the most beautiful floral room since her gift is all about how she can control plants and flowers and it's just incredibly gorgeous and the flowers change colors depending upon her mood or Dolores who again she hears everything so any single thing somebody whispers she hears and I'm sorry to say it but not to be vulgar but the minute I heard about her gift the first thing I could think of is oh dear god she can hear when anybody in this house is having sex Oh, that's a curse. That's <laughs> that's got to be awful. But I I still nonetheless I Dolores is like the fan 
favorite of all the characters and honestly I see why she's so stinking cute she's really really adorable um but yeah there's also another sibling who has the power to control the weather based on her moods and I also found her very entertaining that she'll walk around and she gets angry and there's a lightning storm and then when she's in a great mood there's rainbows and just it's 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 amazing it's funny but yes, Encanto's just lively. It's colorful. The music is solid. I mean, it's Linda Miranda Morial uh, doing... I just butchered his name. I'm so sorry. You all know him from Hamilton, guys. I'm sorry I did that. But yes, he does a absolutely phenomenal job with the music, as he did with Moana as well. Um, I mean, it's just fantastic. And the casting for this is great. Um, I'm, I found myself so engrossed in the story. There's a section in the middle of the movie where I legitimately started crying. Because um, I'm also going to do this small spoiler. There actually is no real villain in this movie. It's just a misunderstanding between the family. But when this misunderstanding gets resolved, it's beautiful. The way the story's told is incredibly heartbreaking, but beautiful. Like, again, you sympathize. You feel so much for these characters. You want to see their happy endings so, so badly. Now, I've heard the argument between between a lot of people where they say this, the third act of the movie is actually quite underwhelming. And in fairness, I kind of see what they mean by that. Um, it is a little underwhelming. But for me, it still doesn't take away the fact that the movie is just so powerful you know it's quiet when it needs to be it's loud and vibrant when it needs to be and that's Disney doing a good movie right you know and honestly lately I all I can do has been singing Disney's praises lately with its movies um between seeing Soul, Cruella like whew, I can't sing Cruella's praises enough you know a, a movie about an evil fashion designer it's I'm all about this. Hello, this is my life. But truthfully, with the exception of Onward, which I didn't hate, I just didn't think was that great. Disney's just been getting better and better. And this is for me who still hasn't, I'm going to be level with you guys. I haven't been fully caught up with Marvel lately as I've been going through a really bad Marvel fatigue where I'm just like, I'm overwhelmed by Marvel to the point where I'm burnt out. So I still haven't been caught up with I haven't been caught up with Black Widow. I haven't caught up with Eternals, Sangshi, and the Seven Rings. Ten Rings? See, this is how bad it's it's been. Um, and especially not with Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm very behind. I haven't even started uh, the book of Boba Fett. It's just taking me... Like, even with Star Wars, I'm a little burnt out right now. Because I've rewatched everything, including Mandalorian. So, I'm so good on everything... Marvel and Star Wars at the moment but as far as just Disney being Disney damn you guys did good with this movie I need more people to watch this movie because I'm singing its praises because it's phenomenal I'm highly already encouraging my mother and my nieces and nephew in Australia to go watch it because it's so cute because they're stealing my Disney plus make use of it it's a great movie guys um what more can I say about it past that so if you haven't had the chance to go and sit down and watch Encanto, it's currently free streaming on Disney+. Plus. If you have your subscription to Disney+, Plus, it's already on there for free. No premium access required. Go sit down and enjoy a really nice family film that will definitely warm your heart and bring you all together. Alright guys, and with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into tonight's listener-friendly asked questions. Because I do not want this episode to run too late tonight, I'm only going to answer two questions. And one of them is a really loaded one, and I'm going to answer that one last. So we're going to start with the shorter one, which is a question I feel like I got asked, but I'm going to go ahead and just answer this one anyway. Um, like I said, I feel like this question had been asked to me in a previous episode, but I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, the question that... The question was asked by Top Hill Drag Star. And they asked me, what are your top favorite rides at all the SoCal theme parks? 
Um, okay, thank you for that question. And um, unfortunately with this, I'm going to have to exclude Knott's Berry Farm out of the major four in Southern California. As where I live, there is four major theme parks. And that is the Disneyland Resort, which is Disneyland. Um, Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park. Um, Universal Studios Hollywood and Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia. Um, all four are within an hour drive of me. So um, I kind of live in a perfect medium of all four. And so the question is, which are my favorite rides? Um, like I said, I have to exclude Knott's Berry Farm from this list only because I haven't been to Knott's Berry Farm since I was nine years old. So I don't have the greatest of memories of this park. So I'll go ahead and start with Six Flags Magic Mountain, as this is also a theme park I don't visit that often. But I just went recently in summer with my boyfriend, and we had a fucking great time. We went midday and stayed till park closing and we did everything except three rides which was the newest roller coaster west coast racers um superman escape from krypton and there was one more i can't remember for the life of me what this ride was i think it was ninja was the one i wanted to do because i wanted to ride it at sunset um those were the main ones um lex luther drop of doom you will never get my ass on this ride i hate it with all my heart the kitty rides i of course i don't care about and um, at the time, also to Wonder Woman, the new ride is was getting built. It's still not finished yet. It won't be finished till summer of 2022. So that being said, I'll give you a, kind of like my top five favorite roller coasters at Six Flags. And rounding out the top five, I'm going to probably put... I'm going to probably have to say it is... Batman at the bottom of my top five because it's the suspended roller coaster. I fucking love this ride with all my heart. Um, from there, I would have to say, I'd have to say full throttle. I, I, my main complaint with this ride is that it's short. Actually, I'll put full throttle at my fifth place and Batman in fourth. Um, my problem with Full throttle is just, yeah, it's short. A lot of people complain that this ride is short, and they're right, it is. But everything about it, even to the top hat um, loop and override on that roller coaster is so cool. And yeah, just if you haven't looked up how the ride through of this, don't. Just go in surprised because it's amazing. Um, then third would be Tatsu. Tatsu for me has always been such a smooth ride. It's if there's ever a roller coaster that could make you feel like you're actually flying, this is it. It's soothing, it's calming. There's the pretzel loop that la lands you on your back and it's so soothing. It's actually almost massage, like a massage riding through that pretzel loop. It's so great. Um, now, first and second place alternate depending on my mood. Um, so you could say this is both first and second and they're interchangeable but for the for the sake of argument i'm actually going to put x2 in second place um only because i have walked off of x2 a few times with a little bit of a neck injury because this ride will shake the shit out of you um it's not necessarily violent but it's easily the most intimidating roller coaster there like going into their parking structure or parking area that's the first ride you see at, of the park. But um, especially in recent years, I heard they don't add the cool music when you're coming up the lift hill. Like you're listening to the intro to Enter Sandman from Metallica. It's, they don't do really do it anymore. They don't really do the flames on the ride, which I fucking loved. And of course, like even the music, I loved that too. So yeah, that's why I kind of got knocked down to second place is because of I have gotten injured on this ride and I have experienced it with no music and no flames but when you have all of the above with no injury oh oh this ride is everything 
I, I couldn't stop singing its praises. There was a day I went to Six Flags and there was no line for X2. They didn't even bother unbuckling us. They just kept us in. We rode it seven times. That's where I got the neck injury. But man, just X2 is dope. Oh, this ride is easily, if it's not on, if you've never been on it, it you, you know, if you have to be a th- uh, roller coaster enthusiast to get on this ride, there's no way you should get on this if you're just like, oh, it sounds fun. No, this is for extreme roller coaster riders because this is holy shit. Which leads to my top favorite ride at Six Flags. Again, interchangeable with X2 on any given day, but I would give it up to Twisted Colossus. Man, I already, I originally, I did love the original Colossus up until it burned down. And then when they replaced it with Twisted Colossus, I was a little intimidated by it. Then I got on it and I'm like, this ride fucking rules. Oh, this ride is so goddamn cool. I love it so much. I could ride it all day, every day. The only complaint I do have on this ride is if you're tall, there's not a lot of leg room. So... I definitely did feel a little bit of pain in my shins and my knees from from the seat. But I could forsake all of that for just how amazing and smooth this ride is. It's supposed to feel and give you the illusion of a rickety wooden roller coaster. But man, what, what they've done with this ride is exceptional. It's a dueling track roller coaster. And the coolest thing is, is that you get to ride both tracks on one ride through. And that's what makes it worth it. Because even with just one ride through on one track, that's enough. It's That's the length of a regular roller coaster. But this one puts you through it twice. And I can't express enough just how cool that is. So that's going to round up my top five for Six Flags Magic Mountain. Now for the rest, I'm just it's just going to be top threes. Just because Universal Studios is such a small park and the Disneyland Resort is two parks. So from here, let's go and talk about Universal Studios Hollywood, which you you go there to see the movies get made. I mean, it, that's what it's amazingly known for. Top three rides is easily going to be, number one, the studio tour. Because I've watched the evolution of the studio tour since I was a kid. My mom used to come on there with a camcorder, the big 90s ones, and film the ride. And I I remember watching the old VHSs with it as I date myself, and seeing so many different things that are not there today because Universal is a park that is constantly evolving and changing. So a lot of things, like a a lot of you might not even remember, was like the burning house that was on the side of the hill that was replaced with Jurassic Park that later became Jurassic World. So it's like the evolution is insane. So the studio tour is my top like on my top three not only that well before covid this used to be the ride where if you were hungry and you needed a break but you didn't want to stop doing rides you could grab an easy to go food and a bottle of water and jump on the studio tour because it's an almost hour-long ride you're just sitting there you're going about 10 to 15 miles per hour maybe even slower but you can just eat food on the ride as long as you went to the bathroom before you jumped on you were great So me personally, yes, the studio tour is on my top three. From there, we're going to go ahead and give it over to uh, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, which for years I was always jealous that Disney or (laughs) Disney, Universal Orlando got their Wizarding World of Harry Potter long before we did here in Southern California. But when we did, I was stoked. Like the Ravenclaw in me was yearning to be here so I did get to be one of those few who got to ride Forbidden Journey when it was still in its test runs and I got to do this at least twice and I got to do it when we still had the 3D projections and the 3D glasses which yeah arguably could was nauseating if you weren't in the right headspace for it but me personally loved it and we have since taken up the 3D conversion which is fine by me the ride's still awesome um, lately I've had a very big scare in constantly getting on the ride when it breaks down. And I don't know why, but for me, when the ride, getting stuck on Forbidden Journey when it breaks down is absolutely terrifying. I genuinely get a little scared of it. But nonetheless, seriously, cool ride. Again, I'm a Harry Potter fan, despite J.K. Rowling. 
um, separating the art from artist here, but absolutely love this ride to make you feel so immersed into the experience. And I guess it should come as no surprise that my number one ride at Universal Studios Hollywood is Jurassic World. Um, I grew up with the evolution of Jurassic Park thinking this ride was insane. Even as a child, I thought I would be forever too afraid to jump on it. But I was proven wrong by finally just getting on there and enduring the 84 foot drop, which was only scary if you haven't done it before. Once you've built up that momentum and have done it, you're good. So I give it up to this ride. And of course, I miss the original Jurassic Park, but I'd be lying to you, my faithful listeners, if I didn't say that Jurassic World fucking rules. This ride is awesome. Because um, for the most part, it doesn't take away too much of the essence of the original Jurassic Park. It, If anything, it just added different elements because of the franchise as we're still waiting on the last movie to be made in the series. So, I mean, I've already kind of posted spoilers of the ride on TikTok. If you see the giant duel between the Indominus Rex and the T-Rex, fuck, it's badass. It's so cool. And I've seen her in different modes too, because when they first opened Jurassic World, all you saw was the head of the Indominus peek out of a bush. And, and I know that wasn't their original intent. So when Universal closed down for COVID reasons and reopened, then they brought out the full body Indominus and she's a bad bitch. She is so cool because she actually walks out. She crouches. She's, you know, she roars at the audience, or at the guests in the boat twice, only for when the T-Rex pops out of the waterfall and they lunge at each other so badass and just a heads up from me personally if you want to get the best view of that battle sit in the back row absolutely sit in the back row it also guarantees you won't get as wet but man oh oh amazing so that's gonna go ahead and handle that list for universal studios hollywood and lastly let's go ahead and real quickly jump into disneyland over in Anaheim. And in terms of that, my top three rides are pretty easy to go off of. Um, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Radiator Springs Racers, which is a very beautiful ride. It's very seldom I've ever been on this ride when it breaks down. And if you get on it just at that perfect inch of twilight hour, right when it's not quite dark, it's the sun's just setting, the view on this ride is incredible. I, I couldn't recommend it enough. It doesn't matter where on the ride you sit. As long as you experience it at twilight hour when it's the sun just set, there's no sun in the sky, but it's not dark yet, that's the best. If you time it just right, and I've done it a couple of times, and it's been amazing. That being said, top three rides, I'm going to put in third place um, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Partially because it makes me miss the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Now, granted, the one we had in California was not the same engineering as the one in Florida, where I was told the one, and I've watched ride-throughs of the Tower of Terror and Disney World, which is by far the best version of all four versions, well, at the time, that were in existence. And that's kind of even including the one in Tokyo Disney Sea, which is not based on the Twilight Zone. Um, but our own little Tower of Terror made me really happy because, and a lot of people forget this, even though the ride is not necessarily based on any hotel in particular, there was a hotel in Hollywood called the, called, um, the Hollywood Tower Hotel in which the story is kind of, the fake story is based off of. But nonetheless, I missed our little version of Tower of Terror and don't get me wrong, I don't hate Guardians of the Galaxy necessarily. I'm just not the biggest fan of Chris Pratt, if you get what I'm saying. But the ride itself is still really awesome. The story is awesome. The cameo from Stan Lee, may he rest in peace, we miss you, is amazing. And yeah, the fact that you it's interchangeable. Um, 
there's not a guarantee that every time you go on this ride, it's going to be the same. Like the, the scenarios you find the Guardians in is different. The music is different. It's really, really cool. So that's going to be that. Then you're, I, I know people, goth community is definitely going to fight me on this. I, I can feel you guys getting ready to yell at me. But in second place is the Haunted Mansion. Now, before you come at me, understand, I will always love the Haunted Mansion. There's no way I, any goth worth their salt will ever tell you that they don't like the Haunted Mansion. I love the Haunted Mansion. Um, my thing with the Haunted Mansion is just that I'm not always the biggest fan of the Nightmare Before Christmas setup. Like, I understand that they keep it up from Halloween into the new year, usually. But I feel like once I've ridden it at least two to three times with the Nightmare setup on, I'm over it. And I'm already wanting the original Haunted Mansion back. But nonetheless, Haunted Mansion is like the fan favorite for anybody. It's a nice, cool, dark ride. It's spooky. It's adorable. The songs are awesome. You'd be lying if you said you never hummed Grim Grinning Ghosts, whether you've heard the Dapper Dan singing it or you've heard it on the ride. It's, it's just such a classic. I can't sing its praises enough. It's amazing. And funny enough, in first place for my favorite rides at Disneyland is going to be given up to Space Mountain. And that's because I like that illusion Space Mountain gives. I love the illusion that it makes you feel like you're going faster than you really are, even though you're only going about 30 miles an hour. You've definitely driven faster than that in your car. Um, because Space Mountain just, it's classic for me. I've even, I know you're not supposed to, but I've even done this where I've ridden it with, with earphones on, listening to different songs like Dead Stars by Covenant, and played it in time with the ride and... Yeah, it changes the experience a lot. Um, I do enjoy the theming from time to time. Um, like Hyperspace Mountain was fun for a little while. Um, so I've ridden it many times as Hyperspace Mountain. So it was Star Wars themed. But what I got to give it up to is when it's themed Ghost Galaxy for the Halloween season. And if you never Googled the image of what Space Mountain looks like when the Ghost Galaxy theming is set up, you should definitely go look it look it up because the ghost on Ghost Galaxy is legitimately kind of scary. Like, this is definitely scary for Disney standards. And for that, it's the same Space Mountain ride, but now it's this fiery, ghostly, skeletal-looking entity chasing you through the ride. And there's even a jump scare. Disney do a fucking jump scare on a ride? Unheard of. But this ride does it, and the music for Ghost Galaxy is chef's kiss. It's so good. I like listening to the music just on its own, even when I'm not on the ride. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go YouTube it, because it'll also give you an image of the poster art for Ghost Galaxy, which again, is pretty damn creepy for Disney. So words up to that. And that's going to go ahead and round out my list of top favorite rides at all my theme parks. So thank you to top hill drag star for that question now even though that ran long my next question this one's going to be a loaded one and i'm going to try to keep it pretty short but this comes to me from eternal elsa 96 and she asks i've been dealing with online bullying in the cosplay community you've said you've dealt with it in the past how did you handle it um, this is a loaded one, and I'm going to start off by saying I'm not going to name a single name of the people who have abused me or attacked me in any kind of sense or bullied me in any kind of sense because I'm not trying to make this, my podcast, into that kind of thing. Though I've definitely expressed anger to people I've, that have bullied me in the past and some that are kind of still doing it. But I, yes, I have, I have dealt with bullying in the cosplaying community. I was actually, I've been the target of racism in in the way of typecasting because I wanted to, definitely when I was trying to cosplay in Monster High, um, where I originally wanted to be Frankie or Laguna, I wanted to be a character that, you know, it didn't matter what my skin tone was because I was going to be painted up. And the girls that 
involuntarily joined my cosplay group for Monster High, decided that I had to be Claudine Wolf because I'm I am black. I didn't like this suggestion, but at the same time, I was like, whatever, I'm gonna do it. And granted, it's it was kind of a backhanded blessing because that's how Garrett Xander from um from Monster High, the creator of Monster High, saw me and said, you know what, she's the official Claudine. And that was the sweetest and kindest thing that could have ever happened to me because it meant that I could continue to come back to Comic-Con and be Claudine. Little girls knew me as Claudine and they thought I was a life-size version of their doll. So... Yeah, in in terms of not only being typecasted because of my skin tone in the cosplay community, I've also dealt with body shaming. Those same cosplayers, unfortunately, who joined my Monster High group when I did not ask nor want them to, um, also body shamed me for the no real reason. I wasn't even... I don't like saying overweight because that sounds awful. But I was, I had a surfer's physique, but because the girl who was cosplaying Frankie was skinnier than me, if I wasn't her level of body stature, I was considered overweight and was body shamed by not only her, but her associate who decided to cosplay Laguna, which I didn't appreciate because I didn't think my size at the time mattered. You know, I was actually in really good shape, but not by their standards, it wasn't enough. Um, I've also been bullied further back in the past, not necessarily by cosplayers, but bullied, again, for racist remarks. Um, I have had somebody in the past who has not only bullied me for, like, because I am black, but bullied me because... I, they thought I was, they thought I was born trans. They thought I was born with a penis, which is not true. They also body shamed me as well. But this person was very racist, very transphobic, honestly homophobic, and made a website in which to slander me. It had my full name and personal info all over this website, which... This person claimed they didn't make, but she was in support of, so you're an accomplice, which is, you at this point, you may as well say you did. And she even did crude blackface drawings of me, which I didn't appreciate. She also altered photos that were on my MySpace, so now you know how old that was. And not only that, but also bullied two other of my friends for separate reasons, but blamed it on me dragging them into this fight, which was not something I did. These are two people I'm still friends with to this day. And it was, I didn't appreciate that this person did this. And honestly, truthfully, I can actually get a lawyer against all this and I should, but that's not the point. Um, so to Eternal Elsa 96, if you are truly suffering with, um, any kind of bullying or harassment in the cosplay community, because I'm going to be honest with you, the cosplay community is not what it used to be. It's incredibly cutthroat and people are incredibly rude for no fucking reason. You know, and it's honestly turned into a bit of an elitist supermodel runway show and it really does not need to be. What I can, the best advice I can give you about them, fuck them. You don't owe these people anything you don't owe them for you to lose i don't know what exactly you're being bullied for like whether your cosplay is not the best or could be better whether you're not a certain body type or body shape fuck them if you're not a certain skin tone for your cosplay fuck them you don't need that kind of negativity cosplay was always about people who didn't fit into this stereotypical Barbie and Ken kind of situation and you found comfort in something you genuinely like, whether it was anime or Marvel or comics or movies, you wanted to dress up as the heroes that you saw either in your books or manga or comics or on the big screen or even on TV. 
And nobody should be taking that away from you. If cosplay gives you power, no matter what your skill level is, let it give you power. Don't let somebody take that from you because they're fucked up. Because they feel some type of way about how you look. I've definitely dealt with this in the past in becoming the fashion designer and the cosplayer I am today. Where I have faced criticism from people about, oh, well, this cosplay looks like this and this looks like that. Then you fucking make it then. Okay? Do you then. I, I, I don't understand the need to bully somebody because they're not on the same level as you. It's ridiculous. So I say regardless of what these people say of you and your work, be proud of what you did. As long as you're not, you know buying some like buying cosplay online and passing it off as yours do the best that you can whether you're making it yourself or if you're buying it online all you you know give credit to the artist or you know the company you bought your cosplay from if you made it yourself give yourself that credit it's not easy to be a cosplayer it's not easy to know how to run several different sewing machines to make your perfect cosplay and it should be perfect to you it shouldn't be perfect to somebody else's standards Because cosplay is not about being judged. It's about expressing yourself in what makes you the happiest. And honestly, I hope the people who teased you and bullied you about anything, let them get lupus. Okay? I'm not going to say catch COVID because that's awful. But get lupus. So take care of yourself in the cosplay community. And also just, even though these people are awful to them, be kind. Always kill them with kindness. You don't have to. And even if even at that, you don't even have to owe them kindness. Just ignore them. They're not worth your time. And I know in a lot of situations that's very easier said than done. But if you feed them, if you feed them attention, it gives them power. And they're just going to continue being an asshole because they know they can get some kind of reaction out of you. Don't give them that. Just continue doing you. Then the people who will see you growing and expressing yourself in cosplay and actually appreciating what you do, they're the people that are worth giving your time and energy to. So thank you so much to Eternal Elsa 96 for your question. And that's going to round out the listener-friendly asked questions for this evening. I do apologize if I didn't get to your questions tonight, but feel free to send, send me a DM either through TikTok or Instagram if you have a question you would like me to feature in another episode. And that's it, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on tonight's episode. I would like to thank all of you guys, the listeners, for coming back and tuning in as much as you did and have kept this podcast going. Whether you live in the same city as me, state, across the country, or halfway across the globe, your listenership has kept my podcast going and is continuing keeping my podcast going. So thank you so much and I truly do appreciate it. And as always, you can find me on any of my social media. My Twitter is MoonChildNil. My TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube are MorningStarMoonChild. Go ahead and check any of these out and give me a like, subscribe, a follow, or a share if you enjoy any of the content that I do. Now, as we draw this episode to a close, I'm going to remind you guys that there will not be an episode next week on... uh, January 8th, 2022. We will be skipping that week and jumping ahead. And the next episode is slated to come out on January 15th, 2022. So in about two weeks from now. But till then, guys, like I said in the intro, with the virus running rampant, especially if you're living in my area of Southern California, it's a little crazy right now. Please, people, do what you must to take care of yourself and your loved ones and the people around you. It's getting kind of crazy again where there's even talks of us going back into lockdown, which means we could be seeing our favorite theme parks and stuff shut down again. You know, we could be back to being shut in into our homes and we didn't enjoy it in 2020. I We shouldn't have to do it again in 2022. If you are still having thoughts about taking the vaccine just because you want this to be over with. Please, I encourage you to go and do your research. Look into this. See if it is for you. It's all in a matter of just trying to stay safe. And if you're out there and you're not vaccinated and you're still going all about town, you need 
to be tested often. This is not a matter of, oh, fuck the oppressive government. It's not even about that. This is about taking care of yourself and not infecting others because you want to run off and see family or you want to go and take this vacation, which please stop going to Hawaii. I, I don't say this too often, but please don't come to Hawaii. Hawaii has it really bad right now with the water shortages. They're just going through storm season. And honestly, COVID cases are spiking there too. This is not the time to be going on your dream vacation because your dream vacation is hurting their economy, believe it or not. Now is not the time to be going to Hawaii. But that being said, guys, whatever your New Year's Eve plans are tonight, please do everything in your power to go out. If you're going to go out, please stay incredibly safe. Like go out and have your fun, but please stay safe, guys. I know everybody doesn't want to just be home on New Year's Eve. I myself am just going to be home. I have no plans to go out. But just to protect yourselves and stay safe out there so we can go into 2022 with a clear head and clear knowledge and hopefully a brighter year. With that being said, guys, I will see from I will I will be back to give you another episode on January 15th, 2022. In that meantime, spread kindness. It costs nothing. Stay extraordinarily safe. Have a happy new year. And I'll see you in 2022. Blessed be.